This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by the Allstate Foundation that believes good starts young. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Thursday, November 29th, the Washington Post brought together federal, state, and local policymakers, education researchers, teachers, school administrators, and advocates to discuss the changing education landscape in America. In this segment, Mayor of Chicago Rahm Emanuel and Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson discuss the opportunities and challenges facing the third largest public school system in the nation, from funding to demographics to high school graduation rates. Let's listen. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being here. Madam, is it President, Chief Executive Officer of the Chicago Public Schools, Dr. Janice Jackson, thank you both very much for for being here. We don't have a whole lot of time, so I I wanna dive in. Mr. Mayor, um, in April 2017, you had your, I believe it was your first meeting with Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, and she put such out a, fu- such fond memories. <laughs> well, <laughs> she, she put out she put out a, a, a readout of I your hope meeting. It was as good for her as it was for me. Well, according to yeah. according to this, it says. She, she wrote, I want to thank Mayor Emanuel for today's conversation, yada, yada, yada. I look forward to continuing to find ways in which the department can work with the mayor's office to ensure the students of Chicago receive access to the highest quality education possible. How has that manifested itself, if at all? <laughs> well, let's say since she hasn't come to Chicago, we've been on a tear uh, since then. Now, uh, here's what I would say, uh, in all fairness to uh, her. I, I went there to... Uh, walk through that in Chicago we were going from a K to 12 to a pre-K to college model Mm -hmm. and I actually think that's the future and what I mean is on the on the earlier years we never had full-day kindergarten for every child we now have full-day kindergarten we're in a four-year phase in and you're one of universal full-day pre-k for every child you know about the full-day school and on the back end of high school we're on track for 50% of our kids are gonna graduate with college credits when they graduate high school. 68% of our kids already go to college, both college and community college, which is the national numbers. And our kids are uh, not the national in the sense of 84% of them are poverty or below. And we're the first school system uh, in the United States, uh, urban school system. If you get a B average, we make community college free. So we've raised the expectation. High school is not the destination, high school graduation, it's a milestone and we're starting earlier and going longer. And my conversation with her was to walk through the different things we were doing and make sure that she understood that this was not about choice, this was about quality versus mediocrity, Mm -hmm. and that our goals were about creating quality choices throughout the system. And I want to get into the specifics of those those numbers you talked about with Dr. Jackson in, in a moment. I neglected to mention uh, when I rushed up here on stage and got this conversation going, that um, for the audience, if you have questions for Mayor Emanuel or Dr. Jackson, you can tweet them to us using the hashtag #PostLive. Um, one more thing on on Secretary DeVos in our paper on in my section's page on the op-ed page in December of 2016, uh, you wrote an op-ed with four principles that you thought the the Trump administration should focus on when they were looking at how to 
improve, work on education, put principles first, make the early years count, fight the toughest battle, failure is not an option. How is the administration, well, is the administration utilizing any of these principles to your, to your mind now that we're two years in? Um, short answer is no. Uh, that's just to be great cut to the chase. Uh, I have a different, and Janice and I, and with this effort, I would just say, I think a lot of the last 20 years, and I wouldn't just put it on the Trump administration, focus on teachers has missed the mark. We have focused on the school principal. That is a bigger player in the entire education of a child. I think the emphasis too much is on teacher. There are too many, at least in an urban system, too many family, social, cultural, economic, to expect one person an hour and a half in a class eight hours a day to change all that. I think the school principal creates the culture, the accountability, et cetera. Second is, uh, people, Janice knows this, uh, my dad was a pediatrician. I'm the son of a pediatrician. I know you thought I was gonna say something else, but I'm the son <laughs> of a pediatrician. Hey. Uh, uh, but uh, when I gave up <laughs> to being a ballet dancer, I studied early childhood. And I was gonna do early childhood education. And I fundamentally believe not only watching my three kids grow up, but I fundamentally believe in the early years, and I think those are foundational years. Second is we've done a series of things of turnaround, et cetera, where failure is not allowed. It shouldn't be allowed, and we have a responsibility, we have a responsibility for the education to make sure that every school is a quality choice school. And then uh, the last point I do think is uh, in the sense of setting expectations high. I'm really immensely proud of the fact, and we're on our way, I wouldn't say done. You can't lose sight of the 84% of our kids are poverty or below, yet 44% of our kids go to college. That is a US number. Everything that tells you not those kids, not that zip code, not that background, our kids in Chicago are beating that. Our teachers are beating that. And then, but if you raise the expectation, your kids, and give them the support, not just expectation, but the support, they can keep accomplish the goals and beat the expectations. So Dr. Jackson, I want you to talk more, more about those goals. Um, you, and correct me, well, tell me this. Are you the first uh, chief executive officer who is literally a product of the Chicago Public Schools? You <laughs> went from kindergarten. Head start. He, oh, sorry, oh, yeah. head start mm -hmm. all the way through, yeah. and then you taught? Yes. You were a principal? and then you, you marched right on up the ladder. So you were the perfect person to ask, what are the biggest challenges facing your school system today, despite all the, mm -hmm. the, the achievements that the mayor says is, have happened? Yeah, well, I think um, extending and, and sustaining the improvements that we've made is a huge challenge. I count that as a positive challenge. Also making sure that we're providing equity across the board for all of our students. So Chicago Public Schools is a very diverse um, school system. So making sure that in every single neighborhood that students have access to a high quality education and that we're narrowing the achievement gap. The data that has been put out around CPS's success basically shows that all tides are rising, which is a great narrative, but in order for us to really narrow the gap between low-income students and um, affluent students, black students, and um, their white counterparts, we have to do more work in order to see that achievement gap narrowed. I would say those are the biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. I have to ask you, on my podcast, uh, Cape Up, this week, I have an episode um, from Chicago with a young man who's now in college at DePaul, 
called uh, named D'Angelo McDade, and it was all about gun violence mm -hmm. and and safety in neighborhoods. And I'm wondering how how is it possible for children in Chicago to learn when many of the times their their biggest fear is not the pop quiz, yeah. it's not the final exam, it's getting from their front door to school and back. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go I'll, first? I'll or? go first. Um, I mean, we've done a lot in, in that regard. I think one of the things that uh, Mayor Emanuel and I are most proud of is that it's not just about what happens in the classroom. Obviously, that's important, making sure that we have the right conditions in place. But we've done a lot to support students outside of the classroom, which is critically important. One of the best things that we've done is created a safe passage program for many of our students in some of our toughest neighborhoods. And just to give you one quick data point that illustrates how significant that was, prior to May Emanuel launching that program, the attendance rate was around 86% in those schools. Now it's 93% and growing. And so we can't educate the students if they aren't there. We're taking a much more proactive approach to make sure that social emotional learning is a part of our curriculum, just as much as social studies and English language arts and math is a part of our curriculum. So uh, two things I would say. One is, um, you know, the ultimate goal is that when a child's on their way to school, they're they are thinking about their studies, not their safety. We've made significant progress in certain things, not where we need to be in all parts of the city. Won't rest until that's done. The second thing, and I, I never really thought about this when I worked on policy issues, either chief of staff, congressman, or mayor, but I have come to it both as a mayor for the last seven and a half years and as a father who's watched his three kids and now they're all in college. We're talking all about the school. 80% of a child's life is outside that classroom. And the thing that we have done that I think, uh, we, we could spend a whole day on this. We went from 14,000 kids to 33,000 kids in summer jobs, largest summer jobs program in the United States of America. 50 to 115,000 kids in after school activities. Zero to 8,000 kids now in a mentoring program, seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th grade, four hours a day, five days a week, nine months out of the year. I can go into what we've done on summer, our ROMS readers at our library, et cetera, but all the investments that I can make and Janice can make with our children, we have actually plussed up dramatically in the city so that every child is getting the type of support outside the classroom to reinforce the goals you have in the classroom. And I think one of the big things in national discussions, we talk about teachers appropriate, schools appropriate, if you have a school that's eight and a half hour, eight hour day, but it used to be five and a half, but you don't have an after school, summer job, mentoring program, you are not gonna, it's not an accident that our graduation rate is three times the national average every year for six years consecutively if it wasn't for the after school, summer jobs, and mentoring investments that we were making. And so I just would say to the issue of safety, the most dangerous hours are three to six, and when the bell goes off, our responsibility doesn't end. That's why we've invested in 100. So a third of our kids are in an after-school program. A third of our high school kids are in a summer job program. I'm not saying I'm done, but I will say this. Every one of those things are done without any federal assistance or state assistance. Did you ask? Well, do I look shy to you? I mean, do I, does this look shy to you in any capacity? So let me say no. one thing. When, when, we, when I walked in as mayor, we were at 14,500 summer jobs, 14,500 kids. We're now at 33. We're, how, much, how many kids do you think of the, 14, of the federal government supports of the 33,000? 
Well, you just said you've done all this without any federal. It's less than 1,000 kids. Mm -hmm. So that growth, and it's not with the state has not been a partner in that left, is really we raised tobacco prices to the highest they've been. I can go on and on. But the point is the federal government is not a partner on the last real initiative the federal government's ever did for kids in the last 30 years was kid care. You cannot find a singular program from the federal government focused exclusively on children, except for the, in 98 when President Clinton did children's health insurance, or 97 rather. That was the last time. And we've done this as a city without any federal assistance, any one of those. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a whole day, it's not about what we've done, a whole day discussion, Jonathan, about the investments you make out of the school that back up what happens in the school. So you're in a job that is not term limited. You could be there for the rest of your life, but you announced that you are not, you are not running for re-election, which would have been a, a third term. Some have suggested that the reason, or maybe one of the reasons why you're not running for re-election is because of the controversy over your decision in 2013 to close nearly 50 public schools. True? Not true? And that came at a time when um, most schools closed, um, that was the most schools closed in one city in a single year in modern U.S. history. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, in 2015, I ran for re-elected one. So if it was going to affect my decision, it wouldn't, in 2013 decision, would not be the 2019 decision. It would have been the 2015. The second, that's just one example. All right. I, sorry sure. to. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second is, I don't think anybody could ever look at anything in my life and said I've walked away from a challenge. The, thir the third thing is, in 02, I got elected to Congress. In 04, I became chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. In 06, I was caucus chair. In 08, I was chief of staff to President Obama. In early, late 2010, early 2011, I became mayor of the city. I've gone 16 consecutive years straight at pretty serious challenges. Uh, I knew what I had left in the tank, and this was the time for me to personally uh, put, walk away from the table, take a rest, spend some time with Amy. I'll be back in public life in some capacity, but I've done eight years as a mayor, as I just told you, six as congressman, two as chief of staff. I got it. I've never yeah. walked away from a challenge. I got, uh, okay. <laughs> Janice, uh, before, I am also a middle well, child, yeah. so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to, I'm going to ask you one more question yeah. before I get to this whole future of ROM <laughs> piece. Um, since we got him right here, yeah. and it's in front of an audience, <laughs> what's the one thing you want to do that the mayor won't let you? Or that Wait, um, I didn't get this question ahead or of that time. you haven't thought to ask. You know what? Honestly, and people don't believe this because they see a public persona of, of Mayor Emanuel. I have had the pleasure of, of getting done the things that I believe need to be done in, in CPS. Now, with that said, there are times where we debate around certain issues, and I tell people that on the policy issues and his agenda around education, it's something that I believe wholeheartedly in. Even when you talk about controversial things like school closures, which I can say as a person that has been in Chicago public schools my entire life, one of the elementary school that I attended was on the original list. It didn't eventually close. When I was a network chief, I actually managed the area that had the largest number of closings. So I say this with some perspective. We improved opportunities for students. 
That's not a, people don't want to hear that because it is emotional when you make those decisions. Sure. But one of the things that I've appreciated being not only a resident in Chicago, but having the ability to work with Mayor Emanuel is that he didn't shy away from making tough decisions that made the city better. And so I don't have any one thing that I would want to do. Usually when he doesn't let me do something, I just kind of go behind his back and do it and apologize <laughs> later. So I don't have you anything to atone for right now. So. Well, wait, you said, okay, so then name, well, the name, can, name I, no, can, I, can I say but, one thing though? Can I say one thing? We okay. meet, we, well, I don't even know why I asked. So uh, <laughs> we, we meet, we just said our, our regular meeting, we meet once a week. Then when we're not meeting, Janice and I will grab lunch, which we did three weeks ago. We're very, we've now worked with each other and been through a lot of fire. When you're like that, you have immense trust, loyalty, and more importantly, Janice doesn't have a problem telling me, trust me, what she <laughs> thinks, and I don't have a problem telling her what I think. And we both do actually, and I'll find you, you will be shocked about me, a pretty good job listening to each other because of the respect we have. Does we he disagree all the time. Does he really time. listen? He really does listen. He does. Yeah. And when he doesn't, I just... And I really fake it well, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, no, we do. I mean, yeah. we don't agree. Yeah. There's a, we don't agree. Amy and I don't agree. We don't agree. There are th but we have a fundamental core view we have an agreement on. We have an agreement about the early years. We have an agreement about accountability yeah. and raising standards. We have an agreement that high school is not the end point. It is a milestone and that, that you can't do this just eight hours a day. It's a literally, it's close to a 16 hour day Seven, seven days a week, 12 months out of 12 months of the year. And the fact is on the fundamentals we agree. And there's, and the biggest thing that's helped us if there was ever friction, honestly, you haven't gotten to this. Two years ago, after a 60 year battle, we finally got the state to pony up and treat the children in the city of Chicago as equal citizens in the state of Illinois. <laughs> we have gotten 450, the last two years, $450 million more in funding per year than we did otherwise. And Richard J. Daley, I forgot the year he went down, he went to Springfield and gave a major speech about funding equity in the state. Together, we battled that. The governor threatened to veto it and he, made, and he signed it. And that has been a fundamental difference in allowing us to actually not always have conflict, but actually have the resources to do the things that Janice thinks are essential, the things that I think are essential. Um, so since you ran through your resume, which is a very democratic <laughs> resume, and, and you mentioned the one- Big D. Yes, big, yes, big D Democrat. <laughs> when you were, you were the DCCC chair, Yeah. right? Um, and you were responsible, part of the team responsible for the Democrats retaking the House back in 2006. Uh -huh. So now the Democrats have retaken the House in these last midterm elections. Um, in the fight that we're probably going to see between Speaker Nancy Pelosi and President Trump, who you put your money on? You got, a, you got a second question because that's easy for me to answer. So here, well, answer look, it. No, I'll, no, here, here, look, first of all, I came here, to, I'll do this quickly, but I really did want to come and talk about education. So I'll do real quick. One is, as I said when I, I support Nancy, you want a seasoned veteran at the table who is as cagey as uh, McConnell is ruthless and the president is unprincipled. Mm -hmm. I believe firmly Mitch McConnell, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe firmly that George Mitchell in 90 set up George Bush on Read My Lips where he walked back that set up Bill Clinton in 92. 
I believe that what we did in 06 to 08 with President Bush set up the opportunity for President Obama to become president. What we do over the next two years as Democrats, specifically out of the House, will set the table if we think we have an opportunity in 2020. And I am not for a rookie at this moment. We need a seasoned veteran. And so what I would say is I would triangulate. There are things that Donald Trump agrees with, like infrastructure, prescription drug costs, that Mitch McConnell's against, and I would drive at 80 miles an hour right to that division and just hit it like a middle child would. And just go right <laughs> every day. Hit it. Uh, middle and child, the reason, wrong. Yeah, I, yeah, no, and the reason, is, the reason is when George Bush <laughs> walked away from Read My Lips, Pat Buchanan entered the stage and Ross Perot. And there was a division in their base, and we won. When you got the basic picture since you no, asked, we, okay so then so then when you have a democratic Can party get, big d democratic party yeah. base that doesn't want the party to negotiate at all with president trump how 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 does a speaker pelosi drive that well, way through look, and look, beat na- them like na- a middle child well na- nancy will is a very seasoned veteran the truth is what i said was i didn't say negotiate or compromise i said drive a wedge between mcconnell and, and trump that's a different thing. So does that mean just do it for the theater of it? No, because I think getting rid of this guy by 2020 is like one of the most important national priorities we have. And so that's what I said on that. So can we talk about education for a now, second? By, you said by, by 2020, which means, which of course makes me have to ask the question about there are other people within the Democratic Party base who want the new majority to impeach President Trump. Okay. John. Here, look, so I, they do it. Well, no, well you, here's, do I, let me say this. I'm not usually a controlled person, and I'm <laughs> not usually a person. So I think the best thing I would say, when the facts are laid out by Robert Mueller, you'll know what you need to know. Until that, stop bloviating and just get to work. Is it? I, but, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, yeah. Now, I'm a political person. I love politics. You want good politics? Just shut up. Mueller, well, not you. Mueller. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't take it personally. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> Mueller will present his report. Mm-hmm. Everything before that is just talk. When you see that report, you'll know what it says. And then you can start discussion. I think talking about this, now if I was doing tactics, focus on Wilbur Ross at the Commerce Department and what happened in the Cypress Bank. Focus at EPA and how the chemical polluters got what they wanted and paid cheap price for it. Focus at the Interior Department. Focus on the way the guy not drained the swamp, but brought a swamp with them. And work your way up, and when Mueller delivers a poet, that was just spring season, and get right at the president, because if that's what it says. That's my view. Now, just, just stop acting bloodthirsty for it and do your homework. You know, I wrote a column today that called on Democrats to do a number of things. One, stop looking for the one. Um, the other one being, you know, just once there's a nominee, circle the wagons. But then the other thing was to not fall for the false narrative that Democrats don't have a message. That seems to be the perennial narrative that's out there from from Republicans and from my fellow pundits in the pundit class, that Democrats don't have a message. What is the, me- what, what is the message of Democrats? To ask, Jan- to ask Janice a question about education. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here, here, I thought you were going to say, ask me people, about the Democrats. Here, here's the deal. I'm going to do this really quick, but all the folks came here for education. So here's what I say. My view is that we have to be a party. There's a one tactically or operationally. 
we just basically, Donald Trump lost all the anti-Hillary vote. That's what came to us in the suburbs. You have to, what you lessen out of this election, have a strong urban base, really competitive in the suburbs and keep those voters, put your arms around them so they don't leave you the next election and don't do bad in the rural areas uh, in that area. And I can't tell you, I'll give you an example. We're an urban system. Probably the most, I've worked on a lot of public policy in my life, a lot. The thing that I care, that I would say would be in the top three that I have done in my whole life as a congressman, as a chief of staff, as a senior advisor, has been the Chicago Star Scholarship Free Community College if you get a B average. We've done it on our own dime. 81% of the kids that are taking it, so it's over 6,000 kids, are the first ones in their family to go to college. It's the only public scholarship a dreamer can get in the United States of America. And I have seen parents literally crying in front of me because we've allowed them to be the parents they want to be because they were in a position they had to pick between which child went to school. And while I'm proud my kids are in college, et cetera, I actually think like the free community college says to working families, your kids count too. And one of the things that we haven't done as Democrats is communicate to working families, you are part of the American dream that we talk about. We are dismissive culturally, we are dismissive economically, and I would just say bring them in and have a message that their kids count just like my kids count. And we haven't done it. And so that's what I would say. And I actually think the biggest, we, if everybody wants to analyze 2016, and this is relevant to what we're talking about, we've never had a generation in America where uh, people thought that their kids' future was worse than theirs, except for now. Mm -hmm. And if you want to give people a belief again in America and the promise of America, you believe in parents about their kids' future. And it should not come to the case where a parent has to take either a second mortgage or a second job to give their kids a chance at the American dream. It is absolutely 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I am lucky. Amy and I can afford our kids. They're all going to good schools, they're all loved, and they're doing well. It's not right that parents are literally making Solomon-ass choices on college, which child goes and which child doesn't. In the same way on pre-K, what we've done, if you're poor, you have Head Start. You're wealthy, you figure it out. If you're a middle-class working family, it's $13,200 a child in the city of Chicago. Middle-class families who are trying to work and do right by their kids are screwed in this country. And I don't have an, I have, that is about as cleaned up as word as I can use. <laughs> and I'm not joking. And so when you're talking about what a Democrat's message is, what we're trying to do, Janice and I, on education is core to the, what middle class families feel most squeezed about, their kids. So then, so then Dr. Jackson, given what the mayor has just said, what can, what's the one thing the federal government could do right now mm -hmm. to help school districts like yours and like yours that are around the country? I mean, One I think thing. the biggest issue is always around funding. So more support, not only for our uh, most vulnerable students, Title I, Special Ed, but more support um, for us to provide a high quality education for everybody. We shouldn't be making choices between the arts and world language. Every kid has the right to have access to all of those courses. Um, we are officially out of time, but I have to ask you one more question, Mr. Mayor. One more question. <laughs> and it's a fun one, I swear. <laughs> Can I be the judge of that? Well, let me ask you. You'll see. You are known, and you've alluded to it, that you have a reputation for blunt language yeah. and for a fierce personality. And so as I was preparing for today, I thought, what's the one question I would love to ask him? And here it is. Okay. Who would you love to curse out? 
<laughs> who you haven't already cursed at. <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> you know, there's a famous story of me with Prime Minister uh, Tony Blair. So it's kind of, that's, I don't think Does I've ever... Does anyone know this famous story? Oh, yeah, it's famous. No, tell it. <laughs> no, it's kind of, well, it's, well we, were getting, we were getting ready. He came over for his big press conference with Bill Clinton. You know, it was his first trip across the pond. And it was in the middle of the Lewinsky scandal. We're briefing President Clinton to get ready and going through the questions. And you can see Tony Blair kind of like listening to the questions. He's sitting in the vice president chair just like that, like just going like this. So about an hour after briefing Clinton, we could see that Tony Blair was in the room and he was kind of like going white. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, to break the ice, I just kind of looked at him and I said, hey, Mr. Prime Minister, do me a favor when you're out there. He goes, sure, Ram. He goes, I said, try not to it up. <laughs> so there hasn't really been anybody I haven't said if I wanted to curse out that I haven't tried, cursed out. But there's a couple more people I'd like to get a second chance at. Oh! And, and, and who, who might that no, be? No, forget about it, Matt. All right. This will give me nothing but trouble. On that note, Dr. Janice Jackson, uh, CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, thank you, thank you very much. Mayor Rahm Emanuel, 55th Mayor of Chicago, happy birthday. Thanks, brother. Thank you for being here. Um, right. We're now going to move on to the next section of the program. Please stay, stay seated. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.